two very, very good friends, two men that I deeply respect, um, two friends, Dan and Kevin, and they're both seminarians at Mundelein Seminary in Chicago for the Archdiocese of Chicago. And the reason that we're here and want to have this conversation is, um, so the three of us were at a wedding a couple weeks back, a couple months back, I guess, and kind of got onto the topic of the role that men play, not just in the pro-life movement, but in general in this, uh, this conversation about abortion and about life and the role that men have to play in facilitating a culture um, that values life and is open to life. Um, and we specifically had that conversation, I think, within the context of the priesthood and what that looks like for priests and for our future priests and how we can encourage priests as they're leading parish communities to take that pro-life approach when they're leading a community. So I don't know, does one of you, Dan, I feel like you and I had this conversation that it's not an easy thing for men to weigh in on the pro-life uh, topic nowadays. So do you want to just like elaborate on that a little bit, just to kind of context for what it is, what is it that makes that really hard for men in our culture nowadays? A couple things stand out to me. And the, the first is that there's definitely a fear to weigh in on the issue. Um, that's not an excuse whatsoever to, uh, for avoiding the topic at all. But I think there's a fear. And, and some of that fear comes from the fact of uh, being a man because so many things nowadays are framed to where the people who should be talking about an issue should be the ones who, right, the, the most credible. And, and I think when it, comes to, when it comes to abortion, there's this, whether spoken or unspoken, mentality of this is a women's issue. Um, and so I don't, know, I don't believe that at all. But at the same time, when I find myself talking about the issue with other people, there are there are certainly things about about abortion that, as a man, I can maybe I can't relate to as well as women can, and so there's a natural fear of not being credible when talking about it. I don't think it's justified, um, but I think it's there, and so I think that that. I think that that might scare a lot of men off from speaking on the issue. Um, and the other reason is because I think a lot of men, they don't understand very much about abortion and about what a woman goes through when she finds herself in a crisis pregnancy situation and everything leading up to that. And so I say part of that is men not understanding and coupled with that is a fear of being not credible just because they're men. Yeah. Kev, would you agree that, like, generally speaking, is that your perspective too? Yeah, and I think in – especially we have – I think we see a lot of, like, ally culture uh, right now, especially on social media and whatever, that you just feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm there to support you. I'm, I'm – men – Men are here to support women. What you know, we'll do whatever. What What do you need? But, but women, you take the lead. You know, tell, tell us what you need to do. That's the, that's a lot of the feeling that I get. And I, I know personally, I sometimes kind of I think I fall into that. Like, you know, no, 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 no. This is not my my arena. I'll, I'll, I'll let me know what you want me to do, and I'll 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 help you out. But it's it's just like a, we just kind of get reduced to this to this ally position, and and are just 
maybe not actively discouraged, but kind of what Dan was saying, almost passively discouraged from taking any sort of lead at all in, in the issue. So I would agree yeah. with what Dan said. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so like, let's, I guess, rewind. I don't really know the two of you specifically, like you're, did either of you go to the March for Life in high school? I went twice. Yes. Did you? I had never been until uh, I went with the seminary uh, first year of philosophy here at okay. Muddleline. Yeah. So I, I, I went. I went twice in twice in high school, twice in college, and a few times after that. So uh, a fair a fair amount. I guess the thing I wonder about, um, I don't know. I have a lot of guy friends from high school who are you know maybe like grew up Catholic but are secular ish, more secular than maybe the three of us are. Um, and I think that they come at this from this angle, a little bit of what both of you were saying, but also this angle of like the last conversation I want to have when I'm like trying to date or, you know, I'm like at the bar drinking with my friends whom some of them are, you know, women and pro-choice probably. The last conversation I want to have is like telling them what to do with their bodies is this is this like a distance from and I don't know maybe Dan you said this a little bit is this like a distance from the issue in the sense that the man is not physically going through it um but uh yeah like I guess the man isn't physically going through it yeah yeah and you were kind of hinting at this a little bit too where we get into this we get into this issue of of freedom and the ability to do that people should have the ability to kind of do what what they what they want that they know what's best for themselves and that they should they should also do what what they think is best for them um and so i guess it's kind of a combination of both of those um but yeah i would say that that i don't know that kind of contributes to the fear aspect that i was that i was mentioning earlier mm -hmm. at least that's that's what i'm thinking definitely and is it is it like specifically fear of what other people are going to think about that? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, what, like, what do you think specifically that fear is all about? Is it about the fear of people disagreeing sure. with you or the fear of being told it's not your place? Like what? Sure. I mean, I'd say in, you, we kind of see this in most political discourse where just the first thing that you, that people try to do to their opponents is discredit them. You know, you're not even worthy to talk about the issue. And right. again, like I was saying earlier, just like, we're, we're, we're way oversimplifying that to just making it about gender. Like, you're not a woman, okay? You can't get pregnant. You can't right. have such a such an awful thing happen to you, you know, a crisis pregnancy. Um, like, those are very disarming words. And there's some, there's some truth in there. You know, it's not, it's not completely false. But it completely divorces men and women, our responsibility to take care of each other and love each other, mm -hmm. right? I mean, a woman can't get pregnant unless a man has a, like, a part in that. And, that. and that takes the responsibility of men and throws it away. Like all the responsibility is now placed on women. Like now I have to deal with this issue. Um, and that's just like, like we men as as part of our desire to be fathers and a desire to love so deeply and to, to lay down our lives for, for our brides. And, and I know maybe not every man would can necessarily put that into words or may not, maybe not necessarily feel that way. But, but as men, like we have such a responsibility uh, to not only the wom the women in our lives, 
you know, especially those who we desire to, to conceive children with, but, but the children, of course. Um, and so, yeah, so responsibility is, is the word that's really, I, I think, is so critical in this whole issue. Yeah, that's interesting. So, and I think that that kind of, um, you know, my perspective is that that's really where the devil inserts himself in this, um, in a, I mean, in a million ways, because I think that you could look at that and say, um, men, well, let me back up. So I, I think a lot of the response that men and women have to sex chemically is different. So with women, it's like a bonding in the same way that they bond with their child in childbirth. But with men, it's a different experience. It's like this feeling of responsibility. And in a certain sense, with the whole abortion argument and like the way that the devil inserts himself into this into this dialogue of men have no place here, it like completely undercuts that that natural instinct to, to care for and provide. And I think that we see that um, in the, in the pro-life movement, in the men who, uh, you know, either had a girlfriend or like a sister or someone in their life who had an abortion and maybe at the time he was silent because of some of these things, but also he felt, uh, I think later we see that they, they feel a lot of regret and they kind of feel like they were maybe had that sort of stolen from them. I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, they're, they're, I mean, whether consciously or not, there's a, there's a feeling of, I, I didn't, my, my role as man, as man, as, as husband or as man in the situation is to is pr- protect and provide. And I just violated one of my primary operating procedures as a man. And I failed to protect this child. Um, and whether I, I've accepted that or not, or whether I really think that's my role or not, well, that's, it is how we are designed, and so it, there's there's a loss of of that and a, and, a, and, a, and a sense of failure, even if even if a lot of these guys can't name it. Right, and I mean, gosh, this is a topic that we could spend you know five more hours talking about just the the lack of uh, active father figures, mm-hmm. uh, I think, in our society in general. But from my perspective. I kind of feel like this is the, this is sort of the beginning of that. Um, This is the first moment in a person's life cycle that we deny the father the opportunity to engage. And this is external. And then I think there are other, and like Dan, I know that this, you know, like with the whole pornography issue, this is something that you're particularly passionate about that. Like there's other ways that men, um, do that to themselves, that they like remove themselves very intentionally there. Um, but I don't know what's this. I know this is like such a sweeping question, but how do we even begin to empower men to (sighs) recognize that like that inclination that you have for that fatherhood and that responsibility, that's natural and that's good. And you're allowed to feel that way. Like, how do we, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I, I guess one thing that I think needs to be said too is, I mean, it's a sad fact, but it's a true fact that a lot of men have just failed in their responsibility to to live up to the fatherhood that they like. They become fathers when their their partner, or their their girlfriend, their wife like becomes pregnant. But so many men, it's it's not out of you know, oh, the baby was taken away from me by the woman. Like they just they walk away, mm-hmm. um, and that's awful. And that is 
it's an outrage against what a man should be doing. Again, we talked about that responsibility. And so, um, what can I, can I have you like please. circle back on that? What, like what, what drives a man to choose that way? Yeah. You know, is it just I, like I, an aversion to that responsibility? I mean, I don't know. What is it? I mean, part of it. And I think why your question can, can seem so sweeping and, and daunting is that it's, it's this, we, we find it cyclic behavior is that it start it started at one point. So I don't experience, I don't experience what fatherhood even is. So what is, so my, my father ran and I can, I can react in that in, in a few ways, but you typically one is, well, I can either, that's, that's what I have to model off of. So that's what I'm going to do, or I never want my child to experience it. So I, so I'm going to be there for it. But I think that it's just, we, we don't have that, those, those models of, of what fatherhood is. And so that's why it can just seem so, like I said, daunting. It, it really can. The, the fatherhood role can seem daunting. Well, it can, it, well, just cause it's the, the, the question of, of how do we, how do we fix it is because right. it's, it's, it's oh, almost coming, it's becoming some systemic might be too, too wrong of a word. And I mean, and you, and you, and you bring that even out even farther and, and the, the, the view of, of God as fathers of God, the father is so, so incredibly harmed by, by that thing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've, I've seen, I, I don't know if Dan would agree, but I, I think one of the things at seminary that they really try to kind of go after almost right away is, is how do you as a seminarian and a, and a man view your father? What is your relationship like with your father? With your as biological a, father or with, with your biological father, father or, 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 or with whatever, if you say you're adopted, you know, whoever, the, the man that right, raised sure, you, sure. what's your relationship? What's your relationship with him? Because if there's like, if there's things that are off with that, like you feel you need to, you need to earn his love or, you know, maybe he, he left or he was, wasn't present or, or an alcoholic, you know, all these things, mm-hmm. because we, that, that needs to be addressed from day one. Yeah from absolute day one. And I, I think we take, we take that and take that and, and, and ask all these guys. I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect father except for God, mm-hmm. of course. So, you know, there's, there's, there's always, always going to be a deficiency or two. Some are going to be huge and some are going to be just, you know, there's a little, a little, a little thing tweak here and there in order to make sure my, my view of God is going to be, you know, healthy. Right. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. Well, and Dan, I apologize. So I cut you off before, but I think what was my question? Was it that, how do we, did you have more you wanted to say there? How do well, we was, respond yeah, to that? Well, you were talking about, you know, kind of how has this happened? Like what, what's, like, what's going on with men? And, and, and you, you brought up the pornography issue and you, you, you know how passionate I am about that. And just, I mean, the, the numbers behind that and just the number of men that are, you know, regularly looking at pornography and many of them doing it addictively or convulsively. I mean, it's, it's, it's outrageous, but, but, but again, like the big picture on that is, um, so much of what we're seeing in our society today is is men are is men are aiming for pleasure and my favorite mm-hmm. word so far in this podcast has been responsibility but like so they're aiming for pleasure without the responsibility and so that's like that's pornography right there um you know that's men trying to get mm-hmm. so much pleasure out of what is you know like what is a beautiful thing which is sex but not wanting to have to give any of themselves in that act. And so just trying to drive pleasure without that kind of connection. Um, and I mean, look at what the Super Bowl halftime show was, right? I mean, you have a largely male mm-hmm. audience that is being, um, that's really being like fed this just like very like 
scan. I mean, scandalous, very just like suggestive um, show by Shakira and J Lo, and um, and then what 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 is even more frustrating about that is like the women and so many of you know, and and so many women today are like you know oh my gosh they're so empowered look at how free they are right, you know right. it, this is what's going to help women so much against men and it's like uh no it's not in fact it is the exact <laughs> opposite thing um right now we men are struggling to see the dignity of woman and when that kind of thing happens as well as what's going on with pornography right now and even what's going on in the pro life with with the pro life issue right now is women are being objectified right women are being objectified by men and they're being used as pleasure objects and then the men are getting off scot free that's not okay um and so we need greater responsibility from men and that's not something that we're just i mean certainly like we men like we need to get together and and we need to support each other and we need to kick each other in the butt a little bit but you ladies also have so much you have so much ability to also to help draw men back in um, and to help us also be better men. And hopefully that's something that's mutual between us men and women. So, yeah. And I, uh, I guess the thing I want to mention specifically with that is what to bring it back to the abortion issue. A lot of people would say, and you know, I don't know, you guys can tell me what you think. I personally struggle with this argument because I feel like it puts that it's that word again, so much responsibility on men and it, it gives the implication, um, it, like it implies that it's conscious that men are actively using abortion to further objectify women. Um, the reality is that that's what it does, right? Like it allows men to, um, you know, like you said, like pleasure without responsibility. Um, and that's really what it allows. And I think that when, when you see uh, actually, so, you know, we've had these conversations about porn and I watched a documentary last week Um it's new. I think it's called Blind Eyes Opened, and it's about human trafficking in the United States mm -hmm. and the relationship that it has with both porn and abortion, and how it's all like interconnected. And it makes so much sense, right? Because yeah, because absolutely. porn is basically like the virtual reality of that, and then like human trafficking is well, actually, human trafficking is a part of the pornography industry. I think they yes. said like at some point. I think they said in that. And Dan, you might know, but like eighty percent of women who are in the porn industry have been trafficked at some point in their career in some shape or form, whatever, you know, I mean, whatever you define traffic, human trafficking as. And, um, I think it's 50% of women in the, in who have been trafficked, um, have received an abortion. And half of those women said that it was, that it was forced upon them, that they didn't want the abortion and they had to have it. Um, because of their trafficker. And so it's very clear, right, that like it all contributes to itself and it all, um, it, it's kind of a cycle. And I think that abortion enables that, that continued cycle of um, pleasure and lack of responsibility or like this um, rejection of responsibility by men. But under this like guise of women's rights and it's good for what's, it's good for women and it's feminist and it's empowering for women but it's like the reality is such that it's actually destroying women and destroying men in the process. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I guess I'm just thinking out loud, but I think that where you, what, you know, what you both mentioned is, and I guess to take it back to the whole idea of what, what you're doing in seminary, right. You're like really asking yourself questions about, okay, what was my relationship with my father? Like I, uh, I met with 
Bishop Bartosik from, mm. um, he used to run Colby, Colby House, right? Is yep. that what it's called? Um, prison ministry in Chicago for only about two years. But he and I had a very long conversation about the fact that um, a lot of the men that he encountered in prison, he said that they couldn't be fathers to the children that they had because they themselves had never had fathers and they were still living like little boys. Yep. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about in terms of we have to know, or you as future priests have to know what your relationship with your father was like so that you can, um, so that you can turn and then become a father, a spiritual father to the people that you encounter as priests. Yeah. I mean, it's, Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the spiritual fatherhood is just, I mean, I think that there's, there's a, there's a program now, uh, Institute for Priestly Formation, I call it IPF. Me and Dan are going to be doing a summer program there, uh, starting in June and they're, they've, they got five pillars. I know divine sonship is one, uh, mystical bride, mystical spouse, but spiritual father is, is one of the huge, like one of the five pillars, one, one of the five roles that the priest has. And, um, I mean, for the for the priest, I mean, per, perhaps that the one you the one you need to get the most right is divine sonship, um, and your role and your and your relationship with God. But what society needs the most, and I think this is becoming more and more clear all the time, is the concept of spiritual fatherhood. And I and I think we see that in, I mean, that the the kind of the vitriolic pushback that that clerical celibacy is having right now is just like. Mm-hmm. Whenever you whenever you see those those things just flare up and then emotions get drab, you're like, oh, I've touched I, we've touched on something that that you really that society really does not like, uh, and that and that is the concept of 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 celibacy and the, the fact that these priests and trying to you know, trying to tie it to the to the sex abuse crisis and right. you know you know you, you can't re- you can't relate to married people you can't I mean and, and it's it's all it's all they're all lies of course but it's definitely you. I, whenever I see like the reactions like that, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm very blessed to be called to what, to what I'm, uh, God willing to be, going to be doing and taking that and taking that, that promise mm-hmm. of celibacy and being, and being that witness for the world because man, it needs it so bad. And, and part of that, and part of that promise is going to be to take that role, as you said, as a spiritual father. And, right. and it, you said it's, it's so needed. It's so needed. I think that's. Go ahead, Dan. What were you going to say? All right, Mary. Just because you you were talking about prison and 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 prisoners that that brought me back to a conversation that I think we mm-hmm. were having when we were in Phoenix, just about the the various prisons that men find themselves in nowadays, and um, like it's kind of a, a list I I made myself, but I I, I would say that there's the the prisons that take men out of society and isolate them are sports media, TV shows, movies, pornography, and then I think the other one too is prison itself. Um, and mm-hmm. so many men find themselves isolated in these things, and I, I hope I mentioned video games in there because that's, that's another huge yeah. one, is <laughs> yeah, these are things that, that guys nowadays, and especially guys, like guys our age and, and younger, um, they're these very easy things to just get caught up in, and they take us away from real relationships with other men and with women. Um, 
I think maybe the eternal question that uh, so many of us wonder when we walk into the parishes nowadays is, where are all the men? Where are all the men here? I mean, the the single the single women are there. The young the, the moms are there. Young moms mm -hmm. or, or otherwise. Um, and there's just so few men there. And when they are there, a lot of them, they don't look interested. They look just, uh, whatever, like what's going on here. Um, and so I know certainly as priests, one of the things that I've heard a couple priests already give, um, advice to us on is you need to, you need to be ministering, especially to the men, because if you bring the men back to church, they will be like, they will bring their families. Amen. Like the, the kids will go back to mass and the kids also, they will learn how to be virtuous men and women. Um, the father has such a huge role in that. And so um, it's so important that we bring the men back to, of course, the parish, you know, parish life, certainly, but also out of these prisons that I was just mentioning. We got to get these men out of these just little isolated, um, these, these isolated things and just get them back in connection with, with right. everyone, especially with other, with women, um, so that we can be good fathers and good husbands. You know, and so like, I'm about to go really deep for a second, but I have, I don't know if I've shared this with you guys, but the last few months I've really spent a lot of time pondering, okay, what can Adam and Eve and Genesis tell us about modern man and modern woman? And obviously there's a lot there, but I think specifically about this issue, if you like read Augustine, um, he really, like really just dissects um, Genesis and he talks about how obviously like Adam had root sins, had like, I think Adam's sins were, I think he, he had eight sins. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Eve, I think had five. But the thing that kind of occurred in that interaction in the beginning um, was that Eve overexerted herself. Like she was grasping at something that didn't belong to her. And she didn't consider the experiential knowledge that Adam had. And she... Um, didn't bring him into that, into that decision. She just did it. She listened to the serpent. She ate the fruit. And then Adam sort of like relinquished responsibility and just did mm -hmm. what went along with her. Um, because it, you know, I may, maybe for the sake of keeping the peace, I don't know that I think that's more of like a speculation than anything, but, and, um, we see like how that contributed to, uh, obviously like the down, the downfall of humanity. And then now here we are in this exact conversation, we're talking about, um, you're talking about men sort of, I don't know what the word is. Like they're kind of exiting, uh, society in a certain sense that they're, that it's easier to step away and to go look at porn and play video games and watch sports and like do their thing alone in their room and not engage with the outside world. And then women as a result are like, like, I don't know, you guys aren't in the conversations I'm in with women, but women are just like so desperate for men to love and accept them. So, so desperate. And I think even the women who would tell you that, you know, especially the women who would tell you that abortion is empowering and that it's um, how women are able to engage with men on an equal playing field, um, particularly sexually and also in the workplace and all these other things. Those women, from my perspective, their hearts are like so deeply desiring that to be understood and to be seen and to be known and loved. Yeah. Um, and I think it's not only it, it's it's both and it's that like spousal love and it's also that father, that that love of a father. Um, last week I did a podcast episode with Tori Peterson who grew up in foster care and she, her, she was conceived in rape 
and her, like she had part of her story is the first nine years of her life, constantly asking her mom, her birth mom, who she was with for a, a significant part of her childhood about her biological father. And it, it took her mom until she was nine years old to actually tell her the truth, which was that she was conceived in rape. Mm-hmm. And I received that from her. And I was like, how interesting that you wanted to make that connection with your biological father, even though your mother had made no indication to you that you should care about that or that that was important. Like that was just part of who you were. And it's just like, it was just so much sitting on your heart, even despite, you know, what, what your mom may or may not have said about him. And she was like, yeah, that's true. But actually the way I perceive it is that I think my heart was like seeking God, the father. Yeah. and that blew me away when she said that. Like, I did yeah. not see that coming. And I think that's exactly what you're both hitting on. That that's kind of maybe, maybe that's maybe that's the answer a little bit. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I was honestly just talking <laughs> to my spiritual director today. I mean, you're nailing. I mean, these, these are this is kind of right out hitting the nail right on the head. I was actually talking to my spiritual director today about about this and. Um, and the role the priest has to, to love the people as God does. And, and he was really inviting me to be like, you know, tell God that, ask God, like, here's, I, I want to love the people as, as you do, because people just, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of people just don't know, don't believe, don't see God's love and action in their lives. And so, and, and I mean, we, we're, we're human. We need these, we, we, we act through, through our senses. So we, we, we need these, you know, to, to, to really see it. And that's where, uh, you know, priests and also I, I think religious sisters are, are, would fall right in that, in that bow. I mean, look at the, mm-hmm. the Franciscan sisters of the Eucharist on the, in Humboldt park. I mean, the perfect example of like, here's, 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 here's what love looks like here's what loving like god does here's what it looks like in action and it's 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 so lacking and i and i you know it's 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 exciting it's scary it's exhilarating it's terrifying you know maybe i speak for myself maybe for dan too of just like being a being a part of of that and 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 being you know viewed as as like just god's representative like direct representative in the world I don't yeah. know if that answered your question or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. Dan, you know, Mary Kate, with the Genesis passage, with what Adam, with Adam and Eve. Um, so the text in Hebrew implies that when the serpent is speaking to Eve, he's using plural, the plural um, form, and so he's talking to both of them. Um, and so Adam is there as this is going on, and he does nothing. Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar, oh. huh? Like the man is there, and he's doing interesting. Nothing. And so. I did not like, know that. The, like the devil can't get to Eve, who is the crown jewel of creation, unless he goes through Adam, and Adam just lets it happen. Right. Um, and so, oh and so the gosh. way, and so the way we see in Genesis that the devil is able to go after both of them is first of all, as he isolates Adam away from Eve. Right. The isolation yeah. prison thing that we were just talking about. Right. And then with Eve, it's making her feel that she's not worthy of love. What is? She, what does he say? Mm-hmm. You know. You know, that, that's not what God said. You know, it, he makes it seem like they're in competing with God. Yeah, he's lying to you. He's lying to you. So, and right. you are not worthy of God's love. So why don't you just take things on your own? Like, that's what's going on today, too, is, 
how, is, I mean, how awful it is that, I mean, certainly, you know, I, I, I already spoke at length about men being isolated away from the, each other and from, from God, from, from women, but how awful too that women have to go through not feeling that they're worthy of love. And that's especially true when men are objectifying them, right? If it's just for the pleasure and not for commitment or whether it's or, or for true love, I mean, that's, that's, that just continues to feed that. It's, it's awful. Yeah. And I, so I, first of all, whoa, I didn't even know that about the plural thing, but I, I have two thoughts about that. So Claire Caldwell is a, um, have you guys heard her story? She's so incredible. I encourage you to like Google her if you've never heard of her, but she, um, so she is an abortion survivor. Can you hear my dog crying? <laughs> no, <laughs> he's been crying and wagging his tail up against the wall, like slamming it into the wall this entire time. Um, now, of course, he's laying on the floor, but the second I stop talking, he's going to start doing it again. Um, so Claire Caldwell, she is an abortion survivor. So her story is that she was a twin, um, but her mom did not know she was a twin. And she went in for an abortion and they successfully aborted one of the babies. But Claire didn't die. She lived. And so they aborted the one twin, not knowing that there was a second baby. And then weeks later, she was still pregnant and she went back to the doctor and the doctor was like, oh my gosh, you had a second baby and they didn't get the second baby. So then she tried to go out of state because at that point she was into her third trimester, I think. So she tried to go out of state to get an abortion and she, the, the abortion clinic wouldn't do it. So she had Claire, she gave Claire up for adoption. And then years later, I think Claire was like, 19 or 20, maybe she sought out her birth mother, mother to learn about her and they met and it was this like beautiful reunion. And then, um, Claire gave her a card that she like expressed her gratitude for her, you know, for her, uh, choosing life and putting her up for adoption and adopting her into this beautiful Christian family and her biological mother, like, you know, she says, happy tears turn to bitter, bitter tears of weeping. And she shared with her at that moment that she had actually tried to abort her and had successfully aborted her twin sister. Okay. And Claire Caldwell, she spoke at the March for Life Chicago this year, and she talks about th this was I've never heard any pro-life speaker say this. And there are a lot of men in the pro-life movement. Um, but even that even they don't say these things. Um, she said that it is a, a, an entirely different situation when a woman is experiencing a crisis pregnancy and she has a man in her life telling her to, to keep the baby. She said that the likelihood of a woman keeping is so much higher when a man is telling, is the one comforting that woman and telling her, we can do this. We're going to mm -hmm. do it together. Um, you, you know, you can do this. Um, as opposed to, even if that woman has five other women in her life telling her, you can do this, you can have this baby. Um, it means all the difference in the world when it's a man telling her that, whether it's her father or, or the father of the child, um, or, or, you know, a brother or a friend or anybody else. Um, and women recognize that, um, like there's like a safety, a level of safety there, you know, like men offer and provide this like level of security and this feeling of like, I am safe that women can't provide for each other. Um, and I think that when we talk about like men engaging in the movement, you know, it, it's like, it's so funny how the devil works because I, I think that like the devil prevents these things that even if they're done in the right way, feel the way they're supposed to feel, which is all the goodness of virtue and truth. So like 
if I were experiencing a crisis pregnancy and I had a man in my life, even if I was pro-choice and I knew that I was going to abort this baby, it was not a matter of um, whether or not that was going to happen. It was a matter of how or how and where and when. Um, and I have a man enter into the picture and say, you can do this. You can have this baby. You don't have to abort this baby. You don't have to go through with this, with this procedure. Um, and like really speaking truth into my situation, that would provide a level of like peace and yeah, just like security and safety. And, um, I don't even know the word, like you just know the word when you like, I don't know the, the example I think of is like when you're a kid and you're crying and you're, you like hug your parent, yeah. with your dad, you know, yeah. so like, go ahead. I was just going to say, Mary Kate, um, I don't remember if we were talking about this earlier, but, um, what the the sisters of life at the conference yeah. we in Phoenix were were talking yep. to all the seminarians and they what they talked about is what you're mentioning here where um, in speaking to all of us who one day are you know God willing going to be spiritual fathers one of the sisters said um, women who are considering an abortion are in such a desperate situation and above all they need first and foremost to be loved mm-hmm. you men you men of the Eucharist have eyes that have the grace to see Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And with these same eyes, you need to see Jesus Christ in these desperate women and to show the father's love, which is, as you were saying earlier, like that's what, that's so desperately what we need men and women is to know the father's love. And so as spiritual fathers, that's going to be our responsibility from having experienced the father's love ourselves, that that can be something we can share with these women. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, it's just yeah. your life. It's just so great. It's so, oh my God. so, so awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And the, so, and like, even that takes me back to another, another part of Genesis that, um, and, and like Dan, I think it points to what you've said about women, like women desire to be loved and that, that voice of the devil speaks into their hearts, this, like, you're not lovable and, you know, you're, um, you're not worthy. Um, and the, uh, in Genesis, Adam, Eve is given to Adam as a gift and Adam like looks at her and sees her and accepts the gift from God, like verbally says like flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like he like verbally accepts her. And I think that that also speaks to what we're talking about here. Like women just desire for a man to like look at them and accept them and to see them. And I mean, I've spoken with women myself who are, and again, it's not the same because I'm a woman, but like I've spoken with women myself who are experiencing a crisis pregnancy, thinking about having an abortion and nothing works quite like, um, expressing to them that like you're seen and you are capable and there are people here for you who love you and want you want you to see this through and you know you're not alone and again coming from a woman it I think it it gives like the essence of that but it's not nearly it's not nearly the same thing and this is where you know circling back on spiritual fatherhood like this is where I think there's so much space for priests to be the antidote to what we're experiencing in society nowadays. I don't even know what the incarceration rate is in the South. Yeah. 100% in the South and West sides of the city. But like, look at like the same communities that are experiencing a lack of fathers are the 
communities that have the highest abortion rate. I mean, Illinois is the eighth, um, we have the eighth highest abortion density rate, uh, I'm sorry, city, Chicago. Chicago is the, how, how do I say this right? Uh, we have the eighth highest abortion density rate in the country, the city. So like our abortion density for the for the city of Chicago is higher than than every other city in the country with the exception of seven. Um, and I think that, again, look at look at where the men are at in these communities. Not there. They're not there. And so it makes sense. It makes sense that that's the choice that women make. And I think where priests have the space to come in and spiritual fathers in general, I mean, you could be a spiritual father to someone, even if you're a biological father to someone else. But, you know, for the sake of the conversation, we're talking about you guys and priests and seminary. But spiritual fathers have this really profound opportunity to come in and provide that what women need, which is like, I see you, I accept you, I am here for you, let me provide safety and security for you. And I think that in church communities, that's particularly important when we're talking about this issue, because people underestimate the number of women who are active in a Christian church, or a Catholic church, or, you know, both, Mm -hmm. whatever, both and, and are, um, uh, experiencing a crisis pregnancy and, and ultimately choose abortion. 27% of abortions in the country are performed on Catholic women. Mm. That's pretty high. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like, I, I think I've told you guys this, I think in the first conversation we had about this, I told you that I crunched the numbers a while ago. And I think that as many as 40% of Catholic women in the U S today are post-abortive. And so that's like a very specific area that, um, and this is where I think the pro-life movement, we get frustrated with the Catholic church and the Christian church too. I mean, every church yeah. is, you know, every, everybody's guilty of it. Everybody's guilty of it is that priests, m- you know, ministers, wh- whatever you call your church leader are so afraid to talk about abortion. And this is the excuse we get all the time. It's like, it's political and we don't want to risk our tax exempt status. <laughs> I hate that. It's I mean, not it, a good reason. Well, it just, there's, there's so many, like, it's so easy to talk about it without even delving into the political situation. Totally. I mean, it's, yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear that. And I, and I, and I, and, I, and, and there is this, this temptation to say like, you know, it's a, like they recognize it's a problem, but it's like it's not a problem here. We're a we're a white upper class upper middle class uh, parish. You know, it, it is it is not a problem here. Like I, and like if if it was a problem, I would know. And that's right. that's just like the the whether it is you know self protection or I you know I, I don't want to delve into it you know unconsciously. I, I, it's hard to say uh, without some talking to some, really talking to some of the priests, but. Um, it's just, it's, it's, you, 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 like you said, you do the math and it's just, it's just kind of there. And it just kind of, we just kind of all consciously and just say like, ah, we're just going to kind of ignore this. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other problems in the church that we can handle. And not that, not that that's not wrong, but it's, it's, you know, there's Jesus is in the world for healing. He came to the world for healing and we are by not addressing this, holding that healing back from some of the people who need it the most. And that's these poor, post abortive women and some of the fathers who have been affected by this too. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's in, it's in both. And, um, so that's, yeah. And that's the thing is like, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but just to like throw this in here really quick, the, um, at when, when we were at focus at SLS, there was a ministry there, 
um, it's like a divine mercy focused ministry, but they're a post-abortive ministry for both men and women. And I was talking to the woman who has run it for 30 years. She started it 30 years ago in Indiana. And she said that the rate of post-abortive men is just as high as the rate of post-abortive women in the church. So as many as 40%, which makes sense, right? Because like, you know, obviously you can't have one without the other. But um, the thing that she was saying to me that I think is interesting, um, and I think, again, it feeds into exactly into what we're talking about, is that the, the response uh, the, the stat is the same. The response has to be different. We have to respond to men in a different way on this issue than we have to respond to the women. And I think that in the pro-life movement, we've spent so much time trying to figure out how to address this with women, which is so important and we have to do that. But we have really failed to involve men in this conversation. And it, that has like reinforced this idea that men have no place and no role. So we have men who are you know, experiencing the suffering that comes with having your child aborted and it's been 15, 20, 30 years and they have never felt like I can tell the truth about this suffering I'm experiencing. Uh, I I can't tell the truth about that because this isn't my issue and it wasn't my abortion, Mm -hmm. you know? Mary Kate, in your experience in doing what you're doing, what have you found has helped motivate men or draw men back into the conversation, whether individually or, yeah. or, or perhaps groups of men, what, it, what in your experience has helped? Dan, I don't know if I have a good answer to that because I think that, you know, like, you know, again, to say what I just said, I don't think we've explored it at all. Mm. And I think it's like what you said at the beginning of the conversation, that there's so much fear on the part of men to overstep or to speak out of turn or to, and like, here's the thing, the truth has no gender. So we can make an argument that's truth. And it doesn't matter if I'm a man or a woman, like I'm, you know, I'm a woman and I have every right to speak up about, I mean, pornography is also kind of a women's issue, but I would say it's a little bit more of a man's issue. But you know, I mean, like in that regard, we should be able to speak up about anything regardless of the the gender of the person that it affects. Um, And I think that we have allowed that to infiltrate to such an extent that I don't know, I don't know, I don't know like how we can do better to make men feel like they can be a part of this conversation. And the best that I can do is to just, I feel like men respond well to this. I don't know if you guys can tell me what you think, but I feel like the best we can do is like to invite men into that conversation and to reinforce that, no, actually you do get a voice here. You are a part of this. It's your child too. Um, and it, you know, 50% of uh, roughly, maybe a little less than that given sex selective abortions, but half the babies that are being aborted are male babies. Um, every single one of those babies has a biological father who's out there somewhere, um, uh, and is losing a child, whether they know it, care about it or not. Um, I don't know. I guess I just like that. That's the best I have come up with right now is like, I just want to like, that's, you guys know, this is like kind of my soapbox issue right now. I just want to like scream from the rooftops all the time sure. that men should be talking about this and should feel like yeah. they can be a part of the conversation. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You tell me what's the best way that I can make men feel like they're welcome here. Well, yeah. one of the, th- one of the things that I'm thinking of Mary Kate is, and this isn't a very glamorous answer, but the, f- the, the, the first thing is awareness. When you told me that as high as 40% of Catholic women are post-abortive, I couldn't believe that because 
again, it's one of it's another one of these things where we're like, okay, you know, this is this is so often we we put it in a moral context. You know, this is this is wrong, right? And so the issue is must clearly be out there. Um, and I don't know why we do that, but it's, it's just it's almost instinctual. And so when you said that, it's like. I mean, I was angry in 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 one respect because we don't, as Kevin was saying, we don't talk about this. It's not talked about from the pulpit, and I haven't even heard a priest talk about it out off the pulpit, to be honest with you. And I know yeah. a, lot, a lot of good priests, but they just like they don't talk about it. Um, and some of these priests, though, they have shared that there have been women that have been coming to them in confession over and over and mm-hmm. over again yep. and confessing their abortion because even though God has forgiven them for yep. for for going through with the abortion they cannot le- they can't forgive themselves mm-hmm. and that is where as men I mean as I mean priests I'm going to talk specifically about is just we need to come in and just like and to help these women understand that they're loved by the father and that the father has forgiven them and that they can forgive themselves. And so, yep. but, but again, I, I go back to awareness. If, if more men knew this, I think you'd have a good handful more men who would be motivated to, to help. Yeah. You know, yeah. And actually, go ahead, Kevin, say what you're going to say. Well, I say, I mean, well, I mean, it's super important. I think of, of, of awareness. Um, I, I think priests I know for myself, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, in the, in the future, in the future, hypothetical future of, you know, a woman is coming to me again and again, confessing this, or it's, it's, it's more than one. Um, I mean, a, a priest is, is not a licensed psychologist. Right. Um, we can provide the spiritual healing. We can provide some, you know, spiritual insight, a little bit of counseling, but, um, it's, it's being able to, I'm, I'm learning this more and more as a seminarian, like it's like. It's gathering, gathering your resources. Like, okay, this woman is is post-abortive, um, and she's 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 not she's been forgiven by God, but she's not forgiven herself. She, there's no there's no the, the healing hasn't. She's not really accepting the grace in her life to really heal. So there's I mean there's I know there's you got the, like Project Rachel. There's I mean you can name a, a bunch of them. That uh, I mean may, maybe it's just like the priests. You know we need to have a, a budget in a budget line in the in the yeah, in the parish, like this is this line. This money is to be set aside for women who have who are post-abortive and need mm-hmm. to go to these things, and uh, and we are going to support them by you know, by financially supporting them to go, encouraging them to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, maybe there's there's some project out there that men can do. Like, I, so for example, at at Mundelein, we do there's a there's a ministry called Shop for Life. They we there's tons of trees at Mundelein. So when they fall over, the maintenance guys bring them over, and guys go out there on Saturday mornings and just and chop them into firewood. It gets sold, and uh, the money Does goes. Does that happen a lot? Do you have trees falling oh, over? There's, there's trees. There's trees all, <laughs> and, and they're clearing them all over right now. So there's, oh, okay. There's, oh yeah, no, there's trees everywhere in Montalbán. So there's, there's, so we and so we we've they've they've. They sell these, and the money goes to I can't remember the actual the name there of the organization. There's two uh, women's centers. It's a women's center, but okay. I mean, I, they, right? So this is we call it Chopper Life, and so this is it's a you know it's a long about roundabout way maybe to get to getting this the money in, but it's right. it's focusing the stuff that men are good at and like to do. Right? We're we're providing. We're out in nature. We're with each other. We're chopping we're we're wood, we're, we're chopping wood. <laughs> we're, like 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 here here's this, here's this big log, and now we've made it into the stack so of something weird. we can use. Like I know we're weird, but it's. <laughs> 
it's it's it's, it's fascinating. It's, like it, it works, and guys go out there and do it. And I believe that that works. I've and and, maybe, and, and this works. is I'm, my point in bringing this up is like you know maybe that's how we we guys want to produce and provide and and do so. Like when when you know we we've mentioned that men aren't one men are maybe aren't at masses or parishes or part of like the regular ministerial life of the church, but like. Man, you you need to do a pro, you you need a project on your parish. Holy cow, guys are coming out of the woodwork to just to help with these with these with these parishes. You know, pun not intended. Um, and and so like let's let's come up with some sort of thing, chop for life or something, where men are going to do something to raise money to help women and potentially other men in in this thing. I and mean, maybe that's you know one way to direct these guys to feel that. Um, you know, it, it involves zero politics. It involves, right. uh, I mean, potentially z- zero emotions and feelings. I mean, <laughs> like, I know, not, not to say we should avoid this, but like, just being realistic. Uh, zero feelings. But, like, it's just it's, nothing it's, while I'm chopping wood. Right. right. I mean, it's direct, it's direct <laughs> what, men, what men are good at. And, and, right. and the product of that, whether it's, you know, there's a few steps in the process, but it, it provides a resource that can help with with these with these women it can help provide real healing and it's um and and you and you, and you bring your friends and, and you do all this this stuff but that, that's just yeah, kind I, of like i love that idea you should do that you should start that at the parish that you I, I, would, I would you know I, I would love to i'm trying to think of now like i'm <laughs> like that's something we could do what would i do i'm you know it's like i'm kind of you know thank you for getting this and going in my head i mean <laughs> It's great. I love that idea. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Uh, I find out that there are no trees in existence. Well, in it, like I, five square miles of Kevin's parish. Well, and I, and I my, my parish is in Edison Park, um, yeah. in Chicago, which is like you uh, know, uh, well, neighborhood. I mean, there's, there, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how many trees like they're gonna let us chop down. The city <laughs> Chicago might not be. Uh, well, super that, happy with yeah, us. I appreciate the the yeah, I appreciate the idea. It's a good idea. Maybe someone out there lives yeah. in a highly wooded area that they can just chop down trees and I mean it, so if I mean wow. if, listeners if you have ideas <laughs> of what you know what guys could do to like to chop for that, life. Like, hit us up I mean we priests are uh you know a lot of times demand like demanded to like come up with all the ideas and all the things that happen in the parish but like mm-hmm. nothing makes priests happier than when you come up and come up and say hey I have this idea can you help me do it do it absolutely uh, I, well and great. I mean you're hitting on something really important because I also think that we've like how the three of us know each other is because, you know, some guys got together at our parish and like started a thing and it just made the community explode. Um, started a men's group. I don't know why I just didn't use the word men's group and said thing, but you know what I mean? Like, I want men's group. It's okay. <laughs> um, so like, I think that, that, that like, that solves a lot of the problems we're talking about, just starting something like that, because not only are you hitting on, okay, like we're contributing in some shape or form to a pro-life ministry, but we're also, Dean, I don't know if you've actually said this, but the thing that you told me about the pornography issue and, you know, video games and all these other things is that like men need to experience connection and how we can like draw men out of their prisons is by engaging them in a way that they can connect with other people and not just with women, but also with other men and um, like really facilitate those human relationships for them. And that is like a really great way to do that. 
Yeah, and I think so much of that initiative has to be taken on by the men that are at the parishes. And I know we were just talking about it. Yeah, okay, there's not as many as there are women, but they're there, right? right? And so, and one man has the potential to motivate and to rally so many other men to a noble cause, right? And that just, I mean, that just pumps guys up in general, right? I mean, you know, religious context sure. or otherwise. Um, and also, so- like, women want to be around that. Like, there's a reason that St. Alphonsus is flourishing, and it's not just men, it's women too. And it's because when women see, th- there are men in this parish, and they're, like, actually doing something. I actually tell people all the time, the men's mass at St. Al's is my favorite mass of the month because it there is no other mass that I've experienced in my life that you, like, see men standing up in front of the parish leading the congregation in worship in the way that we do with that men's mass. And it's like, that's how it's supposed to be. The men are leading, they're at the front, and then it makes other people want to be around. It makes men want to be with the other men, and it makes women want to be around because women feel like this is just a place I want to be. You hear that, man? Go out and do it. <laughs> Go out and do the thing. You've, 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 t- you've touched on my my uh, my my talking point of that I love to just go back on. So like, do guys go out and do the thing? It's like, so true. Go to seminary, date a girl. Like these things. Like I know this is kind of a change, but like, like you you hear it, and then you see the guys are just like are just kind of like eh, you know sitting around. I was mm-hmm. I was just at the the speed dating event at St. Al's, uh, volunteering, volunteering. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and and it was. It was it was beautiful to see, but like it's like guys, it's not like, enough. There's, there's it's, not, it's well it's certainly not enough, and it's, it's <laughs> like there's there's a there's a passivity that gets that gets uh, uh, embedded into into men, and it's and this is video games and the isolation, and it's it's also it's 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 I mean I think you touched on the the need for men's community and 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 Saint Al's doing a, a, a good job in in helping fix that, but like. Um, Guys aren't in in our in our in this in this sexualized culture. Um, I mean, what what happens when you see two guys uh, hanging out or you know relating on a deeper level? Well, they're 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 automatically identified as as homosexual, and 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 that and it's it's just a it's such a huge robbery to to yeah. that, that those labels automatically get t- t- flown out there. And and then men are like, well, no, we don't want to have you know those kind of relationships. You know, let's keep this on the the video game level, the sports level, that yeah. you know, you know that yeah. that level. And so, and so, so guys are suffering, and and so then they're they're either isolating themselves, they're typically isolating themselves, or uh, they don't know you know how to how to actually act out in all sorts of ways. It's, um, I mean, we, there's I feel like we've we've cut, we've hit on so many like just root. <laughs> these causes, mm-hmm. like kind of core cause, I, know. I of love it. Isolating themselves and, and and it going back to to Adam and Eve. I think mean, it's you know it's we we see that we see that truth spoken very deeply there. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, but but the I mean you, you you bring it back and it's it's not you know that's it's not the we we have the church we have Christ. It's not a uh, we're not we're not you know. We're not, we're not just like limited. Well, it's, you know, I'd say, well, you know, we, we screwed up and men are, men are screwed. So right. uh, it's not, that's not the truth at all. Um, so it's over. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're right. And Dan, oh, what were you going to say? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> you know, uh, 
you know, we're, we're talking so much about, you know, it, it is so much on, on men to, to motivate other men. And that is so true. But I don't want to discount whatsoever the ability and the incredible power that you ladies have to motivate men as well. Um, you know, like we were saying earlier, like men want to rally around the noble cause. I mean, what nobler cause is there than than all of you, than than women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what Adam's reaction was to Eve in the garden was, holy cow, like this is, I mean, like this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is someone who is worthy of my love. Like women mm-hmm. are so worthy of men's love and they are the noblest cause for us as men collectively. Um, because it is through women that we also too will reach our Lord. Um, and so, but so there are so many things that women as well, that women can do as well. And especially women who are in relationships, like with boyfriends, husbands, um, you know, I don't know how easy it is necessarily to talk about this kind of stuff with boyfriends and husbands, but it, it it's a conversation that needs to be had, you know, For put sure. the ball in their court. Like they need to react to that. Um, and you know, and I know that that that's probably a process that goes on after you know, that goes further than that. But um, but that needs to be a conversation that needs to be had, right? Um, so I, I would certainly For hope sure. that you know, to anyone who's listening, right? I mean, just yeah. like, this is a, this is a complementarity of men and women. We need to be looking out for each other and motivating each other and caring for each other. For sure, it's both and. And I think that like all the things that hold us back from those conversations or from holding the other to the higher standard, um, a lot, so much of it is rooted in fear and like fear, not so much about the other person as much as like, well, how, what, what is their response to my challenge or to my calling them higher? What, what will their response say about me? Like I know for women, women fear that conversation with men because if men reject it and they're like, I don't want to stop looking at porn for you, or I don't want to um, you know, like participate in our family life, um, any more than I already do. Um, women feel a very profound rejection there, but I think that we have to be willing. Um, you know, that's something that I like, I personally in my own life really, um, really try to, uh, like reflect on and receive a lot that love authentically is like opening ourselves up to that rejection and allowing that vulnerability, um, and, you know, putting ourselves in that vulnerable place, like that's authentically where love calls us. And that's the love of Christ is like the most vulnerable, profound humiliation and rejection on the cross, totally naked. But that's, that's the love that we're called to. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way. And, and, and it, like, like you said, like it's both. And so like men have to do that and men have to be willing to engage on the abortion issue, even to the event that it is humiliating and they feel demoralized and they feel like, you know, people telling you that you have no place in this conversation and you are unwelcome here. Um, Mm -hmm. Men still have to be there and like still have to be willing to open themselves up to that vulnerability. And then women on the same end have to be willing to call out some of these other things. Um, Yeah. Wow. For sure. So Mary Kate, I assume that you you have that there are men who are active in the pro life cause that you work with, um, maybe closely. Is that true? You know, it is true. Um, and yes, it's true. So I'm curious how how they got involved in yeah. the pro life movement. You know, that's a good question. I think for a lot of them, um, it's deeply personal. I think a lot of them. Um, 
a couple that I can think of right now, I think either had, um, they had some profound experience with a child, either, um, like they either encouraged a girlfriend or a wife, et cetera, to have an abortion at some point in their lives. And then later went on to regret that, or they, um, you know, had a child who was very, very sick or, you know, terminally ill, or they had, their wife had a very difficult pregnancy. Um, so I think, for men, it, they involve themselves or they feel empowered to become involved when it actually is personal for them. Um, something that I've heard that I think is really interesting is that men respond to grief in a different way um, that sometimes occurs over time. Like I think that maybe women, and I don't know if this is, I don't know who told me this. I don't know if this is real or not, but like what I've heard is that women experience grief, like in the here and now. And for men, it's really time. And like that time passing that they realize, um, the extent of that loss. And so I think we experience with a lot of men who have had a girlfriend or a wife who's aborted their child that years down the road, they're looking back and they're realizing like, I would have a 10 year old or I would have a 15 year old right now. And that's when the grief really starts to set in. And so then you get a lot of older men in the pro-life movement. That's probably the most realistic mm. thing is like, I don't know that there are a lot of young guys in the pro-life movement. Actually, I know that there aren't. Um, and I think that's, I think that's kind of a little bit of what's going on there is you have a lot of fathers who, um, lot, you know, lost their children to abortion or they, you know, forced pressured their girlfriend or wife into having an abortion 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. Um, the real, from my perspective, the real heroes, and I don't know if you guys saw the video of that guy who, um, I think it was actually happened in Illinois, this guy, uh, his girlfriend got pregnant and he followed her to the abortion clinic and like sat outside on the pavement, like weeping and screaming, begging her not to do it. That, that guy is a hero. Like he is a hero from my perspective. That's exactly what every single guy whose girlfriend or wife is walking into an abortion clinic should be doing. And I think maybe some guys feel that. I think maybe it's some of what we've been talking about that some guys would just rather relinquish responsibility there. Um, but I think that, um, again, a lot of guys, they feel like that's not their place or they feel like there's a fear there. There are, there are a few young guys in the pro-life movement. And again, I think it goes back to that like personal experience with it. Um, that for men, it has to feel personal. And maybe that's the thing is that like women, it's personal because like, it's my body. Like I can always imagine becoming pregnant and what that would, how that would change my life and what that would feel like for men. It's not so personal until it's personal, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm just kind of rambling now, but I do think that specifically young men, like men who are interacting on a regular basis with women who are in their fertile years are the ones who are afraid to engage on this issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. So guys, this was awesome. Any like last thoughts before we cut it? Man up boys. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, it comes down and, 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 I mean, and we'll we'll make our our uh, our promise now as God willing, future priests to uh, to for women that we will, you know, you you can feel safe coming to to priests with with anything with you know a, 
on one end a crisis pregnancy, on the other end a, you know, I've I've had an abortion. You know, what what now? Uh, at both at both spectrums, that women feel safe coming to to the church, coming to priests, uh, knowing that not only are they going to get the uh, emotional and spiritual support, but also um, either from the parish or from other resources like that we point to. Like you are going to get the full support that you need, mm-hmm. um, because you know if the, if the church isn't going to provide it, like right now, I mean, who who is? Right. Um, and then yeah. for, for for men, it's just. You know, guys, it's uh, you know if, if you're if you're looking for your for your cause, I mean, here here's what it is. Whether you mm-hmm. you take direct direct action um, and you're outside abortion clinics or you're you're doing the marches or you're you're organizing stuff, you know, ways to raise money for for pregnancy centers, things like that. But um, or you're or you're talking to the woman in your life about this. It's Amen. I mean, it's it's all around. It's you know, it's kind of it just men. We need to we need to do it, and uh, it's at the end of the day. I, you know, there's all these causes, but uh, you know, we can be the generation that this stops with. Amen. Absolutely, yeah. It's a rallying call for men. Um, it's it's certainly something that is difficult and it's going to take time, but it is a battle that can absolutely be won. And as long as we stay close to Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who has, like, he is the one who knows exactly how this battle is going to be won. Um, and if we stay close to him, like, he will see this through. He will take care of it. Um, and and for men, that may look like um, deepening your own vocation with your wife. Um, mm-hmm. Taking that first step to go out and date or to discern another vocation. Um, but it also is for priests. Like, we, like, the priests and the seminarians, we need to be holy men um, for all those around us. And... Um, and especially now, just with so many women in the Catholic Church being post-abortive, it's time for us to also look inside our own parishes and deal with some wounds that perhaps have been hidden for a long time. Amen. With, with compassion, of course. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, guys. That was so awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and guys, just just come to the seminary. Just, just do it. <laughs> like, for real. That was the only appropriate way to end this podcast <laughs> honestly i have <laughs> nothing right. to add to that <laughs> what all he right, said cool. all right cool what kevin said everybody just join the seminary <laughs> just go to the seminary all right bye guys thank you keep, rocking, Mary Kate. <laughs> yeah, thank keep, you. keep, keep rocking it thanks you bet bye bye see ya <laughs>